getting a, a student ready for nursing requires very tight deadlines. As a nurse, I can't imagine you get do-overs. Exactly. Or you get extensions on your patient's timelines for certain medications <laughs> right. or whatever the case may be. So. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. Why do students struggle with assignment deadlines? For the overwhelmed instructors wading through an avalanche of messages requesting extensions, makeup opportunities, or excused absences, this surely must seem like a rhetorical question. However, before considering whether an intervention to policy and procedure might be worthwhile, it's important to hit the pause button and examine our learners' experiences with an open mind. Academic literature has documented a number of possible student behaviors or characteristics, including poor time management skills, procrastination habits, and inadequate college readiness slash academic success skills. However, recent research efforts have also illuminated the sadly prevalent reality of socioeconomic factors such as housing or food insecurity and lack of regular access to important tools, including textbooks, computers, and reliable internet connectivity. The ongoing evolution of student demographics to ever more diverse, non-traditional populations in the U.S., that is, adult learners outside the realm of on-campus 18 to 25-year-olds, has surely impacted this issue as well. More students work full-time while completing degree programs than ever before, often alongside important family and community responsibilities. First-generation students, international students, active or veteran military students, community college to university pathway students, the sheer diversity of life experiences, cultural backgrounds, and learning motivations essentially means that a missed or late assignment situation could have any number of complex, invisible factors that a student is unable to convey effectively. But what does this mean for instructors? Grappling with assignment deadline policies and procedures can be a difficult process, fraught with philosophical and practical implications. Inquisitive instructors exploring the topic may fall into a rabbit hole of dichotomous debates, such as authoritarianism versus permissiveness, student personal responsibility versus entitlement, or the need to model strict real-world deadlines versus enable a flexible and safe learning space. Even a carefully constructed and well-intentioned policy and practice can result in instructors feeling like judge, jury, and executioner required to tediously evaluate every student request for truthfulness and legitimacy. Designing an effective policy that supports student success and minimizes instructor headaches requires attention to a number of factors, such as fairness and consistency for all learners, alignment and adherence to general institutional policies, scalability relative to class size, identification of assignments not eligible for late submissions under any circumstances, minimizing risk of academic integrity breaches, supporting students in learning about discipline-specific norms, and managing or tracking student requests. Ultimately, the most successful policies will guide students in clearly and simply understanding their responsibilities and the instructor's boundaries within an environment of mutual compassion and respect. And after we explore the many nuances of assignment deadline policies, Stay tuned because the IBD crew is excited to launch a new featured segment called Hot Topics. Today we'll be chatting about a recent Inside Higher Ed piece on smooth talking professors. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. 
Joining me today are my colleagues, Celia Kajwaitiwa, Aaron Kraft. So this is actually a bit of a controversial subject. Why do you think it's such a sensitive thing? Why do people get so riled up about this? I think it's the conversation of how do you prepare students or not prepare students for real life. I've seen it in K-12 as well. I mean, it's just one of those things where which type of procedure works best. It's all about context, as far as I can tell. So if you have large enrollment classes that are uh, filled with a lot of maybe incoming first-year students, I think you're going to have a completely different context and therefore policy than if you had a very intimate graduate-level class of just 17 people, for example. Personally, I would advocate for probably much more strict rules for the larger enrollment classes because I, I don't know how else you would accommodate and steward them through if you were trying to give everybody individual consideration. That just seems uh, impossible. But so to answer your question, I, I think the instructors want control and maybe new instructors, they don't know how to get control other than through strict late policies, for example. The moment you think you're losing the class, that's a very unsettling feeling. So right. I, I think this is a, a topic that, that touches on that, that idea of loss of control, particularly from the faculty's end. If I give them a little, will they take a lot? If I give one exception to one student, am I giving it to all the students? And then again, if that's a high enrollment class, that's a big problem. If it's a, if it's a small class, then I, I think you can deal with it individually. But uh, there, there are a lot of dynamic variables there. Yeah, so subjectively, touching on that need to not feel like you're being taken advantage of, like you have a handle on things, um, that you are explicitly managing the power dynamic within a class environment so that you promote the best possible student learning outcomes. On the other hand, we know from some research that it's not necessarily always the case that students can uh, complete a course at the same rates without some amount of flexibility or uh, human touch, if you will, on the factors that are the real life factors that cause them to miss an assignment or to not be comfortable coming to an instructor to talk about a situation that they're having in their life. Yeah, I definitely think that this is one of those topics that there is no right answer. It's yeah. very much based off of what works for the instructor, what works for their um, course, because even if an instructor wants to have a lot of flexibility, their course might not be created to provide a lot of flexibility, depending on the type of course it is. So if we take nursing into consideration, there's not so much flexibility that can be added into some of these courses because Getting a, a student ready for nursing requires very tight deadlines and very precise answers. And well, in the real world, as a nurse, I can't imagine you get uh, do overs. Exactly. Or you get extensions on your patients' timelines for certain medications <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So um, the discipline has everything to do with, with setting these sorts of policies. Context is everything. So, yeah, no, no two situations are alike. Yeah. And so far, you know, reading some of the um, articles that we have as resources, a lot of the opinions that have been placed in those are very valid. 
But again, it goes back to what works for their course and for them as well as far as their own time and what they have available to work with. Yep. That context is really important. And those professional mm -hmm. standards are really important, as you're pointing out. Absolutely. It was interesting to me, um, you know, those resources that you mentioned, Celia, there were some literal mention and some allusion to kind of this parallel parenting war thing over permissiveness versus authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. You know, how strict do you approach child rearing and that there's a perception right or wrong that we're extending this idea of helicopter parenting mm -hmm. into the college classroom where there's more handholding and there's more uh, willingness or or a demand for at least uh, negotiation with students mm -hmm. that they have more collaborative power to dictate those policies and procedures. Yeah, which I can appreciate. But then again, if you're talking about 180 student enrollment course, I I can't fathom how you would allow 180 students how they're going to have their fair their voice heard in, in creating that. That just seems like too much. And I remember back when I was an undergraduate student taking these stadium seating courses, I would never expect the, the instructor and their few TAs to have to make special accommodations just for me. You would hope so. You know, there are occasions, right? And you would hope they do. But that just seems to me, and, and this is my opinion, but it seems a bit unrealistic in that particular context. Yeah, there are serious practical limitations yeah. in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. Economies of scale, I think, is going to dictate a lot of what you have to do in terms of uh, setting policy for these situations. Absolutely. So you kind of led us to this question, Aaron, but what's the most creative or effective late assignment policy you've seen or been subject to as a student, as a learner yourself? I think my favorite so far was many years ago in an online course that I was supporting. At the very beginning of the semester, the students were required to read the syllabus and take a syllabus quiz, pretty standard stuff. However, the instructor also required them to take and submit a screenshot of her policy page concerning technical difficulties. The page basically told students that if they have technical issues when submitting an assignment, which I guess for her was becoming a common occurrence, they needed to take a screenshot, contact the ASU help desk, and send her both the screenshot of the error as well as the help desk ticket ID number. And just in case the students didn't know how to take a screenshot, she included links for both Mac and PC on that page. So very well done, I thought. So there was some scaffolding as well. That's yes. interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a teacher scorned <laughs> or an instructor scorned. I feel like sometimes policies evolve based on um, experiences with students and the ways that sometimes students try to find a workaround. Um, sometimes I see that that's when teachers or instructors really try to hone in on what the problem is and tighten up some of those policies. Um, but yeah, the definite scaffolding in that, I've not seen anything quite as creative. I think that my experiences have usually just been the the common um, percentage off, you know, after a certain amount of time, an assignment is late after, you know, so long, there's no, no getting back any type of grade. 
um, for our late assignment, but the most creative I've seen is just, you know, 10% off if it's a day late, two days late. I'm sure she had something similar. I think this was Mm -hmm. in the case of technical difficulties because this was an online course. And I think students were starting to try to use the excuse Mm -hmm. that, oh, I had technical difficulties, so I couldn't turn my paper in on time. So she's like, okay, well, let's prove it to me then. So yeah, that's kind of a specific category almost Mm -hmm. of excuses, borderline (laughs) questionable uh, student behaviors. Gotcha. I really, now that I'm talking about it, I really want to follow up with her and ask if that actually reduced the amount of technical issues that occurred (laughs) during the semester. You know what? And I wouldn't be surprised if there were more technical issues then because thinking back in time and networks and the availability, especially to more rural areas, it might have been a time where there were more technical issues with, um, you know, network outages or just bandwidth. And that happens. Mm -hmm. I think this was a fantastic policy because if it's legit, if it's a legit technical difficulty, that's covered. Well, and back to context, I have seen in a couple different syllabi where that portion of, you know, show me that you tried to troubleshoot a technical issue. Show me that you reached out to the help desk. It also has to do with the timing. If they're having a problem at 11.58 p.m. and it's due at 11.59 p.m., Some instructors will explicitly say, if this occurred at the last minute, depending on what happened and the actual result of the support request, I may or may not still accept the work. So there's yet again, one more variable that could go either way, depending on the outcome of the problem. Well, and what I like about that policy, too, is that it puts the responsibility back on the student for them to make sure that they have found ways to still be able to submit like they didn't just give up yeah because the submit button didn't work out you know that time they had to find a way to try to get it in anyway well in those problem solving skills ideally Mm -hmm. we want to foster that growth and development Mm -hmm. as a soft skill regardless Mm -hmm. right i had a lot of respect for this instructor she really put 110 percent into creating these courses and I think creating these policies that she felt were fair, strict, but fair. Mm -hmm. Well, I have two examples, not necessarily on the creative spectrum, but I'm going to call it the empathetic spectrum. As an undergraduate, I want to say probably when I was a sophomore, I was taking an accounting course. And during this particular semester, I had a family member who was hospitalized and seriously ill for a period of over three weeks. and this one particular course had a policy that you could not turn in any homework assignments unless you were in class physically on the day it was due. There were no exceptions. You couldn't turn it in early. You couldn't come to the instructor's office. You couldn't have a friend turn it in. Literally no exceptions. Wow. And in the end, this family member ended up passing away. So there was a lot of just tumultuous time in the family anyway. And I was really angry. It gave me a direction, right, for all these emotions. But I was fully prepared if that, if that point value ended up bringing my score down to appeal the grade because it seemed incredibly unfair for a documentable, yeah. legitimate situation. And that's the flip side to your first question about why is this a controversial subject. Mm-hmm. I right. talked about the instructor feeling maybe a loss of sense of control, for example. I'm thinking of my own ex- experience as an instructor. But on the flip side, you have students that actually do have legitimate reasons, life right. events, serious life events, and they, I, you know, in that case, I would say deserve that compromise. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, and at the end of the day, the value of the homework relative to the exams was low enough that I still was able to achieve the grade that I was interested in achieving. So it became a moot point. But that feeling, that frustration has always stayed with me. The other example was the complete opposite end of the spectrum in graduate school with a young child uh, who had gotten a horrible stomach virus. And I had an assignment coming up due and had not slept in a couple days. And I reached out to the instructor before the deadline and said, hey, look, I don't think I can get this done. Here's the situation. And I got an immediate response. Life happens. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, finish it when you can. And there was no sense of uh, judgment around the situation. But ironically, the actual assignment ended up being worth so little, I decided not to do it anyway even though I was allowed to turn it in late with no penalty. Interesting. So opposite ends of the empathy spectrum, yeah. but kind of different results. Yeah. So in terms of context, we've touched on this a little bit, but do you think that overall course modality, online blended classroom or academic discipline beyond just the examples we've listed with nursing professional standards, can that impact the parameters for late work policies? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always speak towards online because that's where my focus has been. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I think there are occasions when a tool like a plagiarism checker uh, is down for whatever reason. And at those times, assignment uploads using that tool cannot be submitted. I would reference people back to my previous response on, on, you know, how to have students uh, prove to you that there was a a mistake there, but or a a technical difficulty there. But um, yeah, there are considerations to be made when, when talking about uh, online courses. For example, I think broadly speaking, there is a significant portion of online students who are non-traditional, and that's likely why they're taking online courses in the first place. So you may be dealing with students who have family and daytime job responsibilities, much like in your scenario there, Jeanette, and they're going back to school to better themselves and their prospects. So. I really don't think you want to discourage these kinds of students with strict or authoritarian style policies. In these cases, I would recommend a more forgiving approach towards late submission policies. You know, additionally, uh, online does allow for learning to happen outside of a fixed time and and location, which means you could have students across time zones or, or even other countries. And this opens up the potential for cultural differences in terms of perception of time and values. Not all cultures are necessarily strict about observing due dates, for example. And, and that's not to say to let them run roughshod over the instructor, but I think a certain amount of leeway needs to be integrated into the policy structure to account for those differences. That's a great point. Uh, another thing that came up in some of the resources um, were the differences around something that a student worked on individually and would you know, turn indirectly to an instructor, either on paper or through a learning management system digitally. But the idea being that there might be a portion of that project that would be perfectly acceptable to turn in late. But if there was, say, a presentation requirement, they could only do it during that particular day and time in that class. So if they missed that class, that portion of the assignment was no longer, you know, feasible for them to complete. Or if it required some sort of peer collaborative effort, their peers couldn't be expected to wait for them uh, beyond, you know, perhaps a certain reasonable adjustment, 
Um, but sequencing, I think, could be another issue, mm-hmm. regardless of online or face-to-face or some variation thereof. But if you have a bottleneck in place where um, they can't necessarily move forward to complete an assignment, you have to think about what's the implication of allowing or not allowing or allowing them to submit so they can proceed, but not necessarily receiving a score or full score. So everything can be connected depending on the type of assignments you're working with and the connections to the other parts of the course. Yeah. Context again yeah. is everything here. Uh, you had brought up exams and thinking about exams, in my own opinion, I would probably say, no, you can't make up an exam. If you miss an exam, unless there's extenuating circumstances, then okay, maybe. But in thinking about an instructor who might be doing exam reviews right after, that would, again, be one of those things that would stop progress if you had a late policy. Unless you have alternative exams ready to go, you really can't do an exam. Yeah, great point. With that. That's something here at the nursing college that you can never get away with because these exams are so high stakes that the instructors do not want these questions or answers getting out. So you can't have a student make up an exam later. That's uh, such an unfair advantage because if these students get below a certain threshold of percentage uh, within their uh, average exam scores, they they go into a uh, remediation. Is it remediation or is it, it's like a Basically, like a you call that like a purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> they have to work with their advisors and their program faculty in order to get back to a certain level of competency before they can move forward. Right. So uh, these are very high stakes assessments. You cannot put them off because one student missed that day or couldn't come in. Like it's, it, it has to be done together. So uh, in this case, it's very strict. Um, the other assignments, I'm sure, there's probably some leeway. But when it comes to those uh, examinations, there's absolutely no leeway here. Right. And that alternate version situation can be a little dicey Mm -hmm. because you have to be pretty sure that you're providing an equitable assessment. But basically, it's on the same material. So if it's out in the wild and your first batch of students have completed it and have a sense of the the answers, then you still may have some academic integrity concerns at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I've seen alternative exams where they've turned them into more open-ended questions. And that's always been an interesting uh, way of, you know, working around that. Which concerns me a Mm -hmm. little bit, too, because if most of your students are completing a multiple choice exam and that one student who needs a makeup comes in for an essay style exam, maybe they're not as strong of a writer, but Mm -hmm. they're their knowledge and their skill sets are on par with their peers. Are you measuring something different, in other words? And that's what I was going to say. I think that is a difference in measurement because one is more recall, while the other is actually production, producing something, um, you know, in their answers. The other thing I think about is how a course is scaffolded. If it's a course that has topics that are built upon each other, how well can you allow late work to come in and have the student progress enough through the course um, without having to completely backtrack? And how, how can they move forward smoothly still and, sure. and be able to turn in late work? On the other end of the universe, again, some of these really creative and interesting approaches that we read about were using kind of what I would call a wild card approach or a, a 
get out of jail free card approach where if they had a certain category of assignments or all their assignments, perhaps depending on the discipline, were suitable for making them up at a different time, then they might provide them with a signifier that they could use at their own discretion, no questions asked, to either turn an assignment in late or to make up a quiz or to even redo an assignment that they had received a poor score on, which is, I think, bringing in more of that student autonomy piece, letting them be self-directed in managing their own learning. But I don't know that necessarily all learners are equipped to take on that responsibility with a fair amount of um, support behind them to do that. Yeah, I would agree. One of the ones that I I actually really liked it, and probably because I did something similar when I was uh, teaching K-8, but it was the idea of having a makeup day. Now, keep in mind this instructor in this article had um, mentioned, you know, probably less than 40 students because of the workload that it could create in grading later. But I like the idea of allowing a student to be able to have one day to say, okay, I need to make this stuff up. They have it puts the responsibility completely on them to say, okay, I'm not going to get this assignment done because I know that I have this makeup day, so I'll just turn it in then. They don't lose points, but they do lose out on presentation grades if they weren't ready to present. They do lose out on peer interaction and feedback, um, the availability to do any revision. So they are having to really think about how much do I do now and what am I going to lose if I wait on doing this? So it helps them to to weigh out the consequences. Yeah. And I think that that's it's her life skills, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> right. and, and that's why I like it so much, because it does put that that critical thinking back on them of what do I lose out on if I don't get this done right now? Postmates is giving me one free delivery. Do I use it now? <laughs> do I use it later? I'm really tired. <laughs> well, and I think of that wild card thing, you know, mm -hmm. you get one assignment to redo or to turn in late. And I always think like, this is like karma. Do I do it now because I'm being lazy and use my wild card? Or do I wait and see if something really comes right. up? Because if I use it now because I'm lazy, karma's going to come back around <laughs> and I'm going to need it like for reals later. Well, and that's the thing about the makeup day being scheduled towards the end of the semester. Yes. Maybe they did miss something, but by the end of the course or close to the end of the course, they're doing so well kind of like my graduate school example, they don't mm -hmm. really need to worry about those exactly. points necessarily mm -hmm. if they're only shooting to get a B or something like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of moving parts to yeah. think about there. A lot of creativity out there, which I was really interested to see. You know, one thing that just popped into my head was it also might be something that would allow an instructor to see or to analyze if you have one assignment where a majority of the students said, okay, I'm not going to turn that one in. <laughs> it might end up being an opportunity for the instructor to take a look back at that assignment and think, why aren't they turning this one in? <laughs> or why are they doing this one late? Good point. 
it's a great way to audit your course. Mm -hmm. So I had everybody until week six and suddenly a lot of people didn't turn in this one assignment. Mm -hmm. See, that's to me an indicator that you need to look at what's happening on that. Yeah. Six, yeah. It can right. be a signal. Time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Good point. All right. So putting these pieces and parts into practice from our instructional designer lens, how would you advise a faculty member who's literally just starting from scratch? They have not done this. Maybe they haven't even gotten a real strong sense of guidance from their program director. They just, they need some help and some support. How would you advise them? What kind of list of questions would you bring to them to kick this off? I think it goes back to how is their course developed? How is the course scaffolded or how does it move from, you know, module to module or across the time? What does their schedule look like? How often do they provide quizzes or formative assessments throughout the course? What kind of content exists? Are they or what kind of assessments exist? Are mm -hmm. they assessing using presentations or papers or exams i think it really you really have to dive into what the content is how are the students being assessed and where is their leniency available within time within um within what they're submitting to show their learning i've rarely had to discuss this with hmm. faculty and i i think the reason is because they end up getting that uh, support from mentors within the program, whether it's more experienced teachers or the program coordinators. So I, I know in your question, Jeanette, you said if they didn't have that support, but in my experience, they most often do have that support. But the few times I was asked about this, and again, I'm going back to online. Mm -hmm. My advice was that the more rigid the policy is, the more visible it needs to be for the students. So, for example, if, if you're not giving hardly any leeway at all, which, you know, that's your scorched earth, scorched earth policy. OK, you know, that's uh, instructor's prerogative as far as I'm concerned. Uh, put it in the syllabus. That's good. It, it, in fact, it probably is I required think, to be. There, yes. Right? <laughs> any policy there. <laughs> right, right. If it's in the syllabus and there's a mandatory syllabus quiz that references the late policy, mm -hmm. that's better. Mm -hmm. It's in the syllabus, there's a syllabus quiz, and you make a course announcement that directly talks about your policy at the beginning of the semester, that's fantastic. So yeah, the, the more strict it is, the more visible it needs to be, would be my opinion. And you know, also going back to what I mentioned earlier con concerning the modalities, uh, technical issues can occur in online courses or if there's an online component, so I do heartily recommend the screenshot approach. <laughs> Uh, Very I, practical. I will recommend it. I don't think I've been asked since I helped build that course, but if I do get asked, that's definitely my first go-to. It's in your pocket. Yeah, definitely. So you bring up the syllabus, and I think that's also why we don't always get asked about late policies is that a lot of the times it seems like courses, you know, get passed on. So they just kind of adopt what's already in place yes. and in the syllabus and they don't unless something actually like happens with the late policies not going the way they intended for them to go. There's not a lot of like reflection on it, you know. Well, and I'll take you back even one more and suggest that a lot of them don't know they can set their own policies if they're perhaps newer or they're adjunct, they're teaching part time. They're not as familiar with the institutional standards. They may not even know that they can adapt a policy. That is true. Good point. So as an instructional designer, maybe 
find out if there is leeway within your college or university right. or program. And if there is, you know, make a note of that and you can pass that on. For me, I think too, sometimes I'm trying to actually speak to a little bit of the anxiety underneath the question. Mm -hmm. So if, if I feel like there's some concern that not being taken advantage of and preventing students from working the system, if that's the kind of underlying semantic concern, I, from a more sort of empathetic philosophy, would urge them to try to let some of that go. At the end of the day, if students are going to cheat and they're going to bend the policy, they're, they're letting themselves down mm -hmm. as a learner at the end of the day. But sort of, so what? I mean, it's worse to me to say on paper that you'll not make any exceptions about deadlines and then you still allow somebody to have an yes. exception off the books, if you will, than it is to extend a slightly more flexible policy where manageable and make that available and transparent to all of the students in fairness. So that's kind of the, you know, the breakdown there. Um, but kind of just being very clear. I think clear, consistent language is the absolute highest priority. I think adding on to that, too, in looking at some of the research is the idea of being in a positive mode. Yeah. So much of the time, the late work policies sound so negative in their in the tone when you put it in, which is, you know, kind of it's negative in itself that it's late work. But if you're being positive about it and talking about, um, you know, the flexibility, the encouragement of getting the work in, that sounds much more workable for a student to to be encouraged to still get it in versus yeah. a hard no, I'm not giving you any type of flexibility at all. This is how it goes. It's it goes back to that, you know, parenting thought, those really hard, stern parents who say yes or no, no questions asked, don't come back to me, right. that's just it, versus the let's talk about this mode. And so, you know, um, I think that's also where students go back to, okay, I'm going to listen to this policy and that's just the way it goes and I'm going to do everything I can to get my work in, versus the student who might have grown up with parents who did talk more and had a little more flexibility within their parenting might wonder, why is this instructor being so hard right now? Why, why can't I have one extra day because maybe I was sick last night right. and I'm trying to get this done? You know, here's another question. Does it change depending on whether a student is just starting out in college, freshman, sophomore versus junior, senior, even grad? For me, it did. Yeah, I was there, insufferable yeah. my first few three years of college. So maybe your undergraduate general studies students need a little bit more structure, a little more strictness to develop those prioritization and responsibility skills. And then, yeah, maybe when you're a graduate student, it's whatever, you're on your own. You meet the policy or suffer the consequences. I think that's a great segue to our hot topics because a lot of this overlaps with that. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Long-time IBD fans know that from time to time, we like to run episodes focused on recent news, trends, and ideas in the higher ed universe. We call these our Hot Topics episodes 
And they're so much fun that we've decided to add this as a standing segment to every episode this season. Yay! Yay! Hot Topics. All right, so for our inaugural Hot Topics segment, we've got a recent article from Inside Higher Ed that was actually recommended to us by retired IBDer Stephen Crawford. Who? Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> oh, Stephen. What's up, Stephen? The title of the article is The Dangers of Fluent Lectures, but what I really love is the summary line at the top. A study says smooth-talking professors can lull students into thinking they've learned more than they actually have, potentially at the expense of active learning. Oh. Sounds like a car salesman exactly. line for this immediate <laughs> picture in my head <laughs> of pop culture TV shows and smooth salesmen. <laughs> So let's hear it. Other than that, what, what was your reaction to this piece? So the article is basically passive learning versus active learning. So the active learning students were given the same materials as the, the passive. And, and the, the passive is basically just traditional lecture didactic approach that we're very aware of in, in higher ed. However, at the end of the semester or, or whatever, the, the students were both in both courses were given the same assessment. And the students who engaged in the active learning approach actually did slightly better. However, according to their perception, they thought they learned less and vice versa. The students who engaged in the passive approach thought they did better when they actually did worse than. Right. So as I was reading this, I realized they buried the lead a, t a little bit with that title mm -hmm. because it's a nice summary of a comparative study, which furthers our understanding and the evidence for the actual value of active learning, which it works. Newsflash, folks, it works. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, Aaron, in that an important part of this is the explicit recognition that their perception of learning, their satisfaction with the learning experience oh, was higher with the passive didactic lecture. That's what it was. It was satisfaction. But yeah. their outcomes were higher in the active learning experience. Mm. So there's a, a an acknowledged differentiation here between what they liked and what was best for him. Speak about parenting. <laughs> exactly. So my son, he's four and a half. He wants to watch TV all the time. And I, I often let him, you know, I, we try to you know balance it out. But I've noticed that on days when I just let him watch TV for a long period of time, he becomes quite insufferable. <laughs> he, he gets very irritable, a little anxious. He'll just start running around the room without really paying attention to anything. And he gets a little bit of an attitude. But... If I mediate his TV watching or if I say, no, let's do something different, he's at first very upset about it. But then an hour or two later, we're engaged in his imagination land and we're, we're, we have little characters. You know, he, I think he took my chess pieces the other day because they looked interesting. And we, we made a whole world around <laughs> the chess pieces. And he was actually quite cute and lovely. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine it's very similar in, in some ways to, at least that's what the article reminded me of. Was, was that kind of scenario? It's a good analogy. Yeah, I like that. So I feel like it's a more of a laziness factor. So this was on undergrads, intro to physics classes. Mm -hmm. I think the more passive learning of I'm just, trying to get this class over with. I don't want to go in and have to talk to people and have to work with people. I just want to get the information, take the tests, do the papers and be done. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of, in my opinion, the attitude that some students go into courses with. So when they're approached with a course, 
that has active learning, they get a negative tone because they're not wanting to work with others and talk to others in order to get their learning. So they don't realize in all of that activity and doing and exploring, they're actually getting something out of it, which is kind of like life. If you have a problem, you start Googling, you're actually taking some responsibility and figuring it out. What they know is what they've seen in pop culture, which is you go to a large stadium seating classroom and you sit and you listen to a boring old professor drone on and you take the test and you stress out and you hope you pass and that's that. Right. Well, that's what they see on TV still, right? That's <laughs> the way. You don't really Bueller. see active learning on TV, do you? Not, Not really. really. Yeah. No. What I think it also goes back to like being especially if it's undergrad, sometimes it's more novice learners. Mm -hmm. So they're not ready to take on other modes of learning other than sitting in their desk. And and I think probably more and more K-12 is moving into the active learning. So yeah, yeah, there is that definite shift. But there is still the idea of college being lecture based. Right. I don't I think they're still coming into college thinking it's still going to be lectured based, right. lecture based, not what they're doing. But wasn't the point of the article that they are ready because they actually perform better? But not, they're not aware of their readiness necessarily. Right. Well, that's, they closed the yeah. loop here. And yeah. that's what I really love about this. So maybe they buried the lead a little bit and we got this awesome image of a car salesman, but they followed through and put in an intervention in the next go round or what have you, mm -hmm. where they explicitly taught students about the value of active learning and then measured their perceptions. At the beginning of the, the semester, at the beginning yes. of the course. Yeah, correct. So that they helped, uh, you know, that metacognition, the learning about learning, they built that in as a feature of the course going forward, which ideally then you'd get the best of both worlds at some point in the future, because not only would they be realizing better learning outcomes, but they would have a better way to understand and appreciate the value of the active learning techniques. And apparently they did, according yep. to the article. Mm -hmm. If I tell my son we're going to bed in 10 minutes, he's fine. If, if I just turn off the TV and say it's bedtime, he throws a fit. Not that I'm comparing <laughs> students to my four-year-old son, but I, there that's is... The, that's the um, day, like the theme of the day is comparing everything. But there are some parallels yeah. here, at least, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, in anything you do in a, in a course, you have to prepare the students. You can't just expect them to come in cold, ready to do anything. I think that's a big part of it. Well, and we have an episode from season one specifically addressing active learning techniques and talks about some of those high risk versus low risk um, techniques. So we would definitely encourage our audience to check that out as well. And I just also go back to the first topic, which was on the um, late work policy. That's the same thing. You have to talk to the students and let them know. And they're a little more aware of what they can and can't do ahead of time. Clear expectations. All right. Thank you for sharing your perspectives on our kickoff hot topics segment. We also definitely covered a lot of ground on assignment deadline policies and how they can impact both instructors and learners. I'd like to thank Celia Kuchwatiwa and Aaron Kraft for channeling their inner policy wonks today while exploring the many facets of late assignment policies. As always, major kudos to Aaron for both participating and running production. Thank you. If you, our audience, would like to share your brilliant insights on policy building or to suggest a hot topic for us to rant about, reach out to us on Twitter or by email. 
You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instruction by design at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. It's a good question. So maybe your undergraduate general studies. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe your... So bringing the soundproofing, it's a, the, the only solution. We need egg cartons in here. We need what? Start egg cartons. Oh, God, yeah. Start stapling them up on the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> okay.